Hello, active and inactive listeners. You monarchs here to behold this swelling scene. I'm Madeline Waddle, and this is my colleague and artist in arms, Dob. Hello. We're back again, bringing you local arts news, the next installment of Much Ado About Nothing. And an interview with Much Ado About Nothing's Margaret and Virgis. My absolute best friend, a delightful, magical, wonderful human being of many talents and good qualities. The one, the only, the oh-so-precious Viola Cabbage. Here on The Horned Moon Presents. The Horned Moon Presents broadcasts on 96.5 KMEW. (laughs) The Cat. Bringing up-to-date arts coverage to Milford Haven, Padua, Verona, Elsa, Nor, and the unincorporated area of Rome. Diving right into this week's arts calendar, join us at Boyette Hall for the first in Arden Community College's evening lecture series. Organized by Angus Mobile, the series features lectures from community members on topics ranging from philosophy to the Fermi paradox. First up, Benedict Mott with a presentation actually spurred by his time on the show last year, an academic look at anthropomorphic morality. Should be interesting. Definitely looking forward to that. And Claude Perkowski is opening up his studio once again for the weekly night at the studio. This week, the evening will be catered by Valmont's Goats and Blooms and consist of a three-hour PowerPoint presentation of an upcoming collaboration between Perkowski and a TBA fellow artist. Cover for the event is $150, $375 for a couple. This coming Monday is the monthly Arden Radio Theater Q&A with artistic liaison Mason Birch. The focus for this month's meeting will be the new process for directing submissions. And as always, attendees are welcome to bring any questions they have about ART in general. And will you be submitting, Waddle? I think I will. But before that, this Friday, I'll be at the Athenian stalls as Rosie unveils their newest cabaret act, Blue Roses. Here's Rosie with more. The mighty Mississippi, fireflies, soul-squashing humidity, and existential ennui. Blue Roses brings together the words of Tennessee Williams with the sounds of the Delta Blues for a meditation on what it means to be alive. Now, in this world, we want your emotional levy to break and to flood our community with honest, earnest feelings of joy, regret, sorrow, lust, impish mischief, and a world weariness that seeps into your bones and makes them both stronger and more brittle. We unveil this moment in time at 8 p.m. this Friday at the Athenaeum Stalls. Blue Roses, featuring me, Rosie, performing pieces written by Celia Tittle in collaboration with the late Tennessee Williams, will run for nine months of unremitting heat and foggy, distant memories. Join us. Stunning. I get chills just thinking about it. I think it's intended to make you sweat. They were sweaty chills. So, Waddle, we've got another Dogs of War this week. We're debating the newly launched Devil's Charter Digest, sensationalism of the worst kind, or necessary addition to the Arden County news cycle. 
before we get started on this, I think it's important to remind everyone that our positions in the Dogs of War segments don't necessarily reflect our personal views and are definitely not the views of KMU or our sister station, K-Rock. Certainly not. This is just an opportunity to give the public forum uh, for discussion and debate of the arts issues being discussed at water coolers throughout Arden County. This is woof woof, Dogs of War. Today's debate has been spurred largely by the reactions to this week's cover story, Defunct Rome Mine Home to Benevolent Elves. The article claimed that Lycorida No. 9, the silver mine that founded Rome and made it a bustling town until it ultimately shut down in 1914, is now the home of a wish-granting elf who sought refuge there after urban development in Canada displaced them from their historic ranges. However, in investigating this claim, Arden County Courier-Gazette cub reporter and hero in Much Do About Nothing, Phoebe Gherkin, found that the Lycordia No. 9 may in fact be a drop-off location for the Centuria and their supposed traffic in illegal kinder eggs. The promise of having a wish granted by the elves if an appropriate gift of candy or fine liquors was made drew many Arden residents to the abandoned mine and possibly into the path of danger. I maintain that this demonstrates the Devil's Charter acts carelessly in its distribution of false and misleading information to the public. What public, what public service is being rendered here? None. And in fact, they're doing more harm by leading people on these wild goose chases. I'm sorry, Dob, but I simply can't agree. There is a terrible overlap here between the magical and the criminal, and it wasn't the responsibility of a news organ dedicated to the one to investigate the other. Phoebe Gherkin stepped in and did her job in investigating further and bringing to light the safety information the public needed. Safety information was the bare minimum of what should have been looked into and included in the original report. It's a metaphysical newspaper dob. They are concerned with your spiritual safety, not your physical safety. Did you not read the very clear warning to stay clear of the old Rome city gate as it is believed a Dybbuk may be in residence there? Which I would argue is just frightening people off from a prime picnic spot and one of the most picturesque places in all of Arden County. It is a great spot for wildflowers in the spring, but it's been a popular picnic spot precisely because strange things tended to happen there. So I take that warning seriously. I was there for a picnic just recently, and the ants were extreme. Wait, you went for a picnic at the city gate? Yes, and the ants were not natural, I'm telling you. They were abnormally large and vicious. It's like Aunt Sparta down there. But anyway, we are getting very much off topic. If there are benevolent wish-granting elves at the number nine, their presence is the exact reason why the Devil's Charter Digest exists. And it was the responsibility of those reporters to advise the public accordingly. That the Centuria may also be using the Lycordia for more nefarious purposes was the business of the Arden County Courier-Gazette. Both parties lived up to their responsibilities, and that closes the book on that, in my opinion. What about the rumors that young Alan Dover was almost shot by a member of the Centuria when he accidentally found their Kinder Egg cache? The Centuria are a difficult topic to discuss, Dob. You know it has never been proven that they are involved in anything criminal, 
They are a fraternal organization who is allowed to keep a cache of whatever they want in the Lycordia number nine. And I believe it's only the hysteria that surrounds them that made Alan believe he was at risk that day. You're not saying you believe the Centuria are legitimate. I'm saying nothing about them because that's not what this is about. And frankly, if you'd grown up in Rome, you'd know you don't just bandy their name about like that. My point is that there is no real victim here. Maybe people shouldn't be poking around abandoned mines for any number of reasons, but maybe they should also exercise some common sense and avoid doing so, regardless of what the Devil's Charter Digest tells them. Independent thinking? Now that's a step too far, Waddle. Nothing I have heard today convinces me that there isn't something distasteful and perhaps grifty about a paper that purports to report on the supernatural. It's like a psychic, cheating the grief-stricken out of money by the promise of talking to their loved ones. That's only the dishonest psychic stop. Okay, so I can grant you that. There's an implied tautological issue there, but let's let that go. Let us know how you feel on the subject by reaching out via email or on the socials. We'll also be posting the full articles by both the DCD and the Courier-Gazette on the Horned Moon website for you to read and come to your own conclusions. But for now, let's set that aside and get to the next installment of Much Ado About Nothing. Moving straight on from Dybbuk's to Chuckles as we hit the ground running with the next part of Much Ado About Nothing, Every Man's Hero. So, we had tricked Benedict, and now it was your turn to get Beatrice. Which was always going to be the harder task. Maybe, but I think they were both just waiting for an opportunity to fall in love. They both protested just a little too much to ever be believable. I roped Margaret and Antonia into helping me. Good Margaret, run thee to the parlor. There shalt thou find my cousin Beatrice proposing with the prince and Claudio. Whisper her ear and tell her our whole discourse is all of her. Say that thou overhurtst us, and bid her steal into the pleached bower. There will she hide her, to listen our propose. This is thy office, fare thee well in it, and leave us alone. <laughs> I'll make her come, I warrant you, presently. Now, Antonia, when Beatrice doth come as we do trace this alley up and down, our talk must only be of Benedict. When I do name him, let it be thy part to praise him more than ever man did merit. My talk to thee must be how Benedict is sick in love with Beatrice. Now begin, for look where Beatrice like a lapwing runs close by the ground to hear our conference. Oh, the pleasantest angling is to see the fish cut with her golden oars a silver stream and greedily devour the treacherous bait. So angle we for Beatrice. No, truly, Antonia. She is too disdainful. I know her spirits are as coy and wild as haggards of the rock. But are you sure that Benedict loves Beatrice so entirely? So says the prince and my new trothed lord. And did they bid you tell her of it, madam? They did entreat me to acquaint her of it. But I persuaded them, if they loved Benedict, to wish him wrestle with affection, and never to let Beatrice know of it. Why do you so? 
Doth not the gentleman deserve as full as fortunate a bed as ever Beatrice shall couch upon? Oh, God of love, I know he doth deserve as much as may be yielded to a man. But nature never framed a woman's heart of prouder stuff than that of Beatrice. Disdain and scorn ride sparkling in her eyes, misprizing what they look on. And her wit values itself so highly that to her all matter else seems weak. She cannot love, nor take no shape nor project of affection. She is so self-endeared. Sure, I think so. And therefore certainly it were not good she knew his love, lest she'll make sport at it. Yikes, you didn't pull your punches, did you? Beatrice hates to be unkind. She doesn't kill spiders. She talks to them gently and takes them outside. I knew she couldn't stand to be mean, even to Benedict. Why, you speak truth. I never yet saw a man how wise, how noble, young, how rarely featured, but she would spell him backward. Sure, sure, such carping is not commendable. No. Not to be so odd, and from all fashions, as Beatrice is, cannot be commendable. But who dare tell her so? If I should speak, she would mock me into air. Oh, she would laugh me out of myself, press me to death with wit. Therefore, let Benedict, like covered fire, consume away in sighs, waste inwardly. It were a better death than die with mocks, which is as bad as die with tickling. Yet tell her of it, hear what she will say. No, rather I will go to Benedict and counsel him to fight against his passion. And truly I'll devise some honest slanders to stain my cousin with. Oh, do not do your cousin such a wrong. She cannot be so much without true judgment, having so swift and excellent a wit as she is prized to have as to refuse so rare a gentleman as Signor Benedict. He is the only man of Italy, always accepted, my dear Claudio. Well, when are you married, madam? Why, every day tomorrow. <laughs> Come, go in. I'll show thee some attires and have thy counsel, which is the best to furnish me tomorrow. She's lined, I warrant you. We have caught her, madam. If it proves so, then loving goes by haps. Some Cupid kill with arrows, some with traps. I knew we'd got her. Antonia's little flattery at the end was genius. Of course Beatrice would do the kind thing, the smart thing, and fall in love with him. What fire is in mine ears? Can this be true? Stand I condemned for pride and scorn so much? Contempt farewell, and maiden pride adieu. No glory lives behind the back of such. And Benedict, love on, I will requite thee, taming my wild heart to thy loving hand. If thou dost love, my kindness shall incite thee to bind our loves up in a holy band. For others say thou dost deserve, and I believe it better than reportingly. Having pulled off the prince's plan, it was time for my favorite part. The gloating? What would you call it gloating? Yeah, okay, the gloating. I do but stay till your marriage be consummate, and then I go toward Aragon. 
I'll bring you thither, my lord, if you'll vouchsafe me. Nay, that would be as great a soil in the new gloss of your marriage as to show a child his new coat and forbid him to wear it. I will only be bold with Benedict for his company, for from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot he is all mirth. He hath twice or thrice cut Cupid's bowstring, and the little hangman dare not shoot at him. Gallants, I am not as I have been. So say I. Methinks you are sadder. I hope he be in love. Hang him, truant. There's no true drop of blood in him to be truly touched with love. If he be sad, he wants money. I have the toothache. What a liar. What? Sigh for a toothache? Well, everyone can master a grief, but he that has it. Yet I say he is in love. The greatest note of it is his melancholy. And when was he wont to wash his face? Yea, or to paint himself, for the which I hear what they say of him. Nay, but his jesting spirit, which is now crept into a lute string and now governed by stops. Indeed, that tells a heavy tale for him. Conclude, conclude, he is in love. Nay, but I know who loves him. That would I know, too. I warned one that knows him not. Yes, and his ill conditions, and in despite of all, dies for him. Yet is this no charm for the toothache? Old Signor, walk aside with me. I have studied eight or nine wise words to speak to you, which these hobby horses must not hear. For my life to break with him about Beatrice. <laughs> Tis even so. Hero and Margaret have by this played their parts with Beatrice, and then the two bears will not bite one another when they meet. I can't tell you how perfect everything in the world was at that moment. I was happy. My friend, I was convinced, was going to become happy. And the future stretched out full of delights and hopes and dreams. And then enter Don John to reign on the parade. To tear it all to pieces, in fact. My lord and brother, God save you. Good den, brother. If your leisure served, I would speak with you. What's the matter? Means your lordship to be married tomorrow? You know he does. I know not that, when he knows what I know. If there be any impediment, I pray you discover it. You may think I love you not. Let that appear hereafter, and aim better at me by that I now will manifest. Why? What's the matter? I came hither to tell you, and circumstances shortened, for she has been too long a-talking of, the lady is disloyal. Who? Hero? Even she. Leonardo's hero, your hero, every man's hero. I couldn't believe it. You did believe it. I would never have believed it just because he said it. Disloyal. The word is too good to paint out her wickedness. I could say she were worse, think you of a worse title, and I will fit her to it. Wonder not till further warrant. Go but with me tonight. You shall see her chamber window entered even the night before her wedding day. May this be so. I will not think it. If you will follow me, I will show you enough. And when you have seen more and heard more, proceed accordingly. If I see anything tonight why I should not marry her, 
tomorrow in the congregation where I should wed, there will I shame her. Always the gentleman. And as I wooed for thee to obtain her, I will join with thee to disgrace her. I will disparage her no farther till you are my witnesses. Bear it coldly, but till midnight, and let the issue show itself. Unfortunately, he lived up to his promise. And you failed yours. If you had seen what I saw. What you thought you saw. What would you have done? I hope I would have talked to you. Even then, even when we were so young and hardly knew each other, and when your heart would have been absolutely shattered. I would have talked to you. And then killed you. But at least I would have done it privately. Well, I guess that's why you're the better half. Damn straight. Oof. Hero really calls Beatrice out, doesn't she? I'm not sure if I've heard it that way before. This production is... It's discovering some new things. Well, today we're talking with Viola Cabbage. She and Waddle are on their way now. While we wait, here's this line's here's this week's line of the week. Gallants, I am not as I have been. Mention the line of the week at the Morning Lark Diner for half off their waffle of the week. This week's waffle is the Claudio, a classic buttermilk waffle smeared with farm fresh butter and topped with berries berries choke cherry syrup. We're here, Dot. Viola Cabbage in the house. Or the studio. Hi, Vi. Happy to have you back on the show again. Again. <laughs> Thank you, Dot. I am thrilled to be here. All right, so let's get right into it. The Cabbage Mott wedding, only 37 days away. What do our listeners need to know? Waddle, I don't think our listeners need to know anything. Uh, you know, I don't know what to say, really. It it's all happening, I think. You think? Trouble in paradise? There's just so many decisions to make. And you know how decisions are. Once you make one, you can't make a different one. Wisely put. It was such a relief when you recommended Neptune's Honey as the venue. It's so adaptable. We were rustic and then classic elegance and then English garden. And Pete was willing to go with any of them. But then he made the genie suggestion that we just combine them all and not put a label on it. What a relief. Because, you know, I found the perfect cake topper, but it's of two panda bears and they don't fit any of those things. Or maybe classic elegance because they're black and white. And I suppose panda, a panda wouldn't hold anything against for elaborate chaotic flower beds. But really, it's better not to make things fit like a puzzle, I think. Are you or Benedict particularly fond of panda bears? Everyone likes a panda, Dob. Yeah, Dob. Everyone likes a panda. Anyway, Benny is getting frustrated that I can't make up my mind. So last night I was trying to decide if we really did want a mascarpone cream filling in the cake. Oh, you're getting the cake from Cliff Dover, aren't you? Yeah. Then you want that filling. Uh, but if we get that, then we can't do a peanut butter filling with a chocolate cake, and Benny does love Reese's. But then again, do we want a cake at all? Why not wedding butterscotch pudding? Well, pudding wouldn't hold the pandas up, would it? Uh, then maybe the pandas are wrong. Maybe if we go with pudding, we could just have cocktail umbrellas that look a little bit like us. 
Of course you could. I don't think you're going to find cocktail umbrellas that look like anyone. Uh, that's what Benny said. And then he said he wasn't sure getting married was worth it after all. And then he left and spent the night at Jasper's and I haven't seen him since. Oh my God. I can't believe he left you like that. Well, good riddance, I say. I never liked him Waddle. much. Well, can you believe it, Dob, to just walk out like that after calling the wedding off? The wedding's off? It sounds like it to me. But don't you worry. I'm sure Pete will return the Waddle. deposit. Uh, but do you think he doesn't love me anymore just because I can't make decisions? Sounds to me like he never loved you at all. Waddle, you're jumping to conclusions. I doubt that Benedict meant to call the wedding off. He's probably just a little overstressed with the planning is all. Possibly. Viola. Vi, have you considered doing something simpler? Simpler? Take all this decision-making off your plate by just not doing as much. I don't understand anything you're saying, Dob. We have to have a first song, and we have to pick it, and we have to pick the band. Now, Waddle, I know you favor the Cattywampus Rompus Room, but we really feel like the Peafowl is more fitting for a wedding. None of those songs about ancient kings and their wars against the eagle people. The Palace Crystalline is one of the most beautiful and romantic song cycles in existence today. Every woman should feel like her Prince Eagle is out there waiting for her. Oh, honey, and I'm sure that he is, but sadly, my Prince Eagle has soared. Thorn away forever. I didn't even have time to talk to him after tonight's installment before we had to be here. Look, we'll talk to him right after the interview, and I'm sure he'll apologize and everything will be as it was. And if he doesn't, then I'll beat the hell out of him and skin him alive. Waddle, maybe just Viola should talk to him. Don't be ridiculous. I'm as much a part of this as, as what? As the groom? I don't think so. Now let's get back to things that are of more public interest. Viola, what have your impressions been of the new direction that art's taken with Much Ado? Has it taken a new direction? What, where are we going now? South? Is everything going south? No, I mean, I don't think so. What do you think in a general way about how things are going? Oh, things are good. Very good, really. I, I don't know when I've had so much fun. It just feels lighter than some other shows, but then I suppose it's a comedy, which wasn't the case with the last few shows. I mean, you can't expect to be light when you play Voltamon now, can't you? And, and Antony and Cleopatra maybe looked light on the surface, but it was heavy at heart and Cymbeline was just, well, grim until the very end. But then, of course, the wedding scene isn't that light at all. It's very twisted, really. And I do wonder why Margaret doesn't say anything at all, because surely she knows or suspects that she has to, or she has to guess, doesn't she? I mean, she doesn't seem to be entirely stupid, so I think she has an inkling that maybe she's to blame. Yes! Yeah, I, I wonder that myself. What, why do you think she doesn't step up? I mean, if even if she can't put two and two together at the wedding, surely later on, the, as the details start coming out, she knows. Why not say anything? Well, there are no lines written for her, are there? 
Sometimes it really just is that simple. But also, maybe she's probably afraid somewhat of Leonardo, isn't she? Oh, maybe. Yes. I guess. Sure. Even if she wasn't, though, she can't really do or say anything because nobody wrote her doing or saying anything. It's a little bit like fate, isn't it? She must do what she must do, and she must not do anything more. She must feel like a doll that gets taken out to play the same game over and over with no other options. In as much as she feels anything. In as much as she is anything, I guess. You know, it's always weird. It always weirds me out a bit the way they refer to characters in rehearsals and stuff. Like, they start calling you Margaret. But I'm not Margaret because Margaret isn't a real person. But then we talk about her feelings and stuff. And she's just really a name on a page. And I just think that's kind of weird, don't you? Yeah. Like, philosophically, you're throwing me for the biggest loop right now, Vi. All right, shaking it off. Uh, you've been auditioning for art for a long time. What other roles are on your bucket list? Mm, I'd like to play Little Red Riding Hood someday. In Into the Woods? Uh, sure, if she's in that. I just like cloaks, and I really love my granny. Any Shakespeare roles you're dying to play? Crab in Two Gentlemen of Verona. I like playing animals. <laughs> okay, that has to wrap it. Uh, wait a second. We're getting word from our PA, Jasper Kane, that Benedict is actually calling into the studio and would like to talk to Viola on the air. <gasps> it's just like being back on Delilah. He'll want to dedicate a song to her. What do we have queued up, Dob? Um, nothing. This is a, this is talk radio. Play in your eyes. That's a oh. great one. Hello, Benedict. You're on the air with Waddle and Dob and Viola. Um, hi. I, I actually didn't want to be on air. Well, Dob and I are hardly qualified to administer couples counseling, but it can't hurt to try. Now, Benedict, let's go back to your childhood. Waddle, no. Fine. But at least apologize, won't you? Don't you think you owe her an apology? Stay out of it, Waddle. Maybe, but I think I should get an apology for her talking about all this on the air. But but you know what? Maybe this is the easiest way to do this. <clears throat> because I believe all of our invitees are devoted listeners. Just to be clear to everyone, the wedding is off. You utter jackwad. It is? The wedding is off, not the marriage, but listen, I'll be home when you get here, Vi. I, I love you, but we can't have this wedding. It is driving both of us completely out of our minds. Look, just come home. huh? We'll talk about it here. And bye, I guess, Dob, Waddle, uh, listeners. I just, ugh. I don't understand. Men, they just don't get it. Let's get that Shakespeare question and call it a night. Huh? I think we still have some wine here for when Angus was here. Sounds like Viola and Benedict have a lot to talk about. 
All right, you pour the wine, Dob. Here's your Shakespeare question. It's from the Merchant of Venice. What says the silver with her virgin hue? What says the silver with her virgin hue? <laughs> we'll be back next week with the next installment of Much Ado About Nothing and an interview with the sinister Don John and the lovable Dogberry, the Ricky J of Arden County, Wink Tittle. Until then, this show is our show. And these dogs are my dogs. <laughs> We're Waddle. And Dob. And this has been The Horned Moon Presents. Thank you all so much for listening to The Horned Moon Presents, which is written by Merlin Q. Sell and directed and produced by me, Marshall B. Garrett. Merlin plays Waddle and I play Dog. Our guests this week are Tanya Benitez playing Viola Cabbage and Mike Lake playing Benedict Mott. Our music is by J. Andrew Dickinson and mixed by Eric Bostic. Once again, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to us now. Now fare you well, for now our show is done. This week so much I haven't got a pun. Ours be your patience, friends, and yours our parts. Your gentle ears lend us and take our hearts. <laughs>